Hello everyone and welcome to Hort Talk. This is episode 5 and today we're talking about allergy awareness and Natasha's Law. I have three very special guests today and I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. Thank you Alex, good afternoon. My name is Caroline Benjamin. I'm the founder of Food Allergy Aware which was set up in about 2013 to assist the food service industry on um, being able to provide for the food allergy guest and since then I've done a number of events for HTA and uh, and other sort of sectors as well. Over to you Ruth. Thanks Caroline, my name is Ruth Holroyd and I write a blog which is called whatallergy.com which is all about allergies, eczema, asthma and it's now 12 years old which is nearly a teenager which is a bit scary. <laughs> um, I'm also a writer and I have written two books. One of them is called The Reluctant Allergy Expert, How to Kill the Fit That Anaphylaxis Could Kill You, which I wrote um, just at the beginning of COVID. And it's all about how to live with the anxiety and the fear of knowing that a food could make you really ill and could potentially kill you. And it's actually quite hard to live with the anxiety and the fear that a lot of allergy people live with. And I've wrote another book, which is a bit more um, therapy, which was The Shape of Skin, which is poems for people with eczema. And it's just a real passion of mine, really, to normalise these conditions because we don't hear about them very much. And quite often people still don't know what anaphylaxis is and they haven't seen anyone with chronic eczema. So people can feel quite alone. So it's my passion to help raise awareness. So thank you for inviting me today. This is great. Thank you, Ruth. Hi, I am Julianne Ponan. I'm founder of Creative Nature, a top 14 allergen-free brand. Uh, the reason why Creative Nature really started um, was because of my own anaphylaxis. I'm allergic to peanuts, tree nuts, uh, chickpeas, lentils, sesame, you name it. I pretty much got it. Um, so it came out of frustration and also sitting alone at the allergy table, which, which is what they called it at my school. Um, not being able to hang out with my friends and having to sit completely separate, eat separate food, it makes you feel uh, in a way isolated. Um, so I wanted to make an inclusive brand that enabled more people to eat around the same table and enjoy delicious food. I'm also a um, ambassador for the anaphylaxis campaign and the teal app, and I advocate as much as possible for people with allergies. Fantastic. Thank you all very much for agreeing to be on Hawk Talk today. So I'm going to start with a question and I like to start with a big one. So it's quite a broad subject. But when we talk about allergy awareness um, and in spe specifically, we're going to be talking a little bit about Natasha's Law. What are we actually talking about? OK, um, I can sort of start there with food allergies. So with the, the food allergies, they are a um, the protein within food. So we've got 14 that we need to be aware of, which everyone is aware of the, by our regulation. But we also need to be aware of those allergens outside of the 14 because they are growing. And one of the things that um, Julianne mentioned is that she is allergic to some of the legumes that are out there. And we know that vegan is becoming very popular at the moment. Um, and we know that a lot of vegan products contain pea protein or other pulses. Um, and because businesses at the moment don't have to label those fully, it's very difficult for those people to eat out. So what we need people to be aware of is, you know, yes, we've got those 14 major allergens, 
but we also need to be aware of what's in our food that's coming. Um, and Natasha's law is going to help with that with regard to the prepack for direct sale. So the sort of story around um, Natasha's law is that um, Natasha Edna LaPerouse was um, purchasing a baguette from Pret-a-Manger at the airport prior to catching a flight, British Airways flight. Um, there was signposting, Pret-a-Manger weren't doing anything wrong. There was signposting to say, ask about the allergens. But because it was all in a grab and go area, um, she um, looked at the, the, the labeling that was on there. It didn't say anything about sesame flour. Normally when you see something with sesame, it has sesame seeds on the top. So it's an indication that there's sesame there, but because it was sesame flour, um, obviously it wasn't obvious. So she grabbed and go and, and took the baguette and um, obviously ate it just prior to boarding, but reaction happened when she was on the flight um, and she had uh, an anaphylactic reaction. So there was a couple of things that we need to take away from the coroner is it was highlighted that um, Pret-a-Manger were informed by at least six or seven um, different families about the issues of their labelling, specifically um, mentioning sesame on a few of the cases. But at that time, Pret-a-Manger did not have a system in place to capture near misses or potential issues or problems. Um, had they done, then obviously we might be in a different situation today. So that's one thing to take away is that actually, you know, if there is an issue and somebody's warning you about that issue, you need to record it as well as having an accident. Um, and the, the other thing that was taken away was how the EpiPens were used on Natasha. So also making sure that staff within any business are aware how to, to give an EpiPen and that they should be given in, in separate legs. And also that person shouldn't be moved, so shouldn't be made to get up, get down, etc. So the seriousness behind the lessons learned with Natasha's Law needs to be taken into account. I've had allergies all my life. I'm 48 now. I'm allergic to quite a lot of things, um, not sesame, but nuts, dairy, wheat, soya. And a couple of those things that were learned on that case, I wasn't really aware of until very recently. And certainly I was never told to inject in in one thigh and then the other thigh by anyone until really recently so I know I've also been in um, an instant where the communication broke down and I had done everything right I had a phone before I'd even been into the restaurant and I told them that I had these allergies particularly my bad ones are dairy and peanuts so I really stressed those ones and even when the food came and everything was checked they still gave me dairy and I ended up in intensive care and mistakes were made then by the ambulance crew so I think there's a lot of communication I and mean, we're not talking about that today but if even ambulance paramedics didn't know that you should not get someone to get up and walk they got me to walk to the ambulance they didn't administer my adrenaline but despite they came so quickly I hadn't done it yet and I was holding the pens and saying right I'm gonna I'm gonna do adrenaline they were like you're okay you don't need to and then got me to walk to the ambulance so there are even in prof professionals there are things that aren't quite clear there's a lot of awareness that we need to build and confidence in, in ourselves like I don't know about you Julianne but it's really scary when you start having anaphylaxis and it's scary using adrenaline and we go into shock and we don't always do things in the right way so I was going to ask Julianne whether you have any experiences like that or yeah definitely I, I think using that adrenaline that EpiPen it is so scary it's something that people don't always see as a scary thing. So for me, I'm, I've got a phobia with needles as well. So on top of having to have an adrenaline, it's oh that feeling. Oh no. <laughs> it, can, yeah. it can be quite 
quite a traumatic experience. And I remember being a child and running away from my mum and dad. Think they're going, no, you need to have the EpiPen. I'm going, I'm run- I started running. Um, and obviously that is very scary for a child. And it's, it's important that we educate children from a very young age. And I do think that is so important. At, at the moment, there's so many things in primary school education, yet they do not teach you how to use an EpiPen. And I find that I, I cannot understand that. Why would you not teach something that could save someone's life? Um, so something like that is really important. Then back to Natasha's law, it's I am allergic to sesame and it, it, it is quite a scary allergen to have because you just assume if something's got sesame on the top, okay, it's got sesame in. But I would have never have thought that the sesame would have been baked into the bread. I, I honestly had absolutely no clue that that could that that would have been the case so Natasha's law will change people's lives like mine and Ruth's from that point of view where we don't know an allergen is in a product and we can actually read it for ourselves because at the end of the day everyone's really busy Ruth and I did a uh, food unwrapped um, documentary and we actually went into London eateries when you go into the eatery they're too busy to take the time to explain to you the allergen anyway. So you're reliant on labels. And if you are going to be on reliant on labels and take it into your own hands, I think the least thing that we should be able to have is full declaration of ingredients, which is what's needed and what's going to change. You mentioned the main 14 allergens at the beginning there, Caroline, and we need to be aware that there are many outside of that as well. You will now see on the menu lots of gluten-free options and vegan options. However, do you think as an industry we need to get better at widening that variety for allergy sufferers? Definitely. I think one of the things that we should highlight is that milk is about 1% higher than gluten for allergies in the UK. We do an amazing lot for gluten-free and celiacs, and that's brilliant. But actually, if you're dairy-free, trying to find um, a starter or a dessert when you go out for a meal is really still hard work. One of the things that we need to be clear of, yes, we've got a lot of foods coming in that are vegan, but vegan foods are not always suitable for somebody with an allergy. And that's really important for people to understand that because there's the um, vegan society allow and may contains on their labeling for their accreditation. So there is a risk that that product is made on the same line or on the same factory, et cetera. And I think one of the things that you need to be aware of when you're providing for the customer, if it's vegan, don't assume it's milk-free, don't assume it's egg-free. You need to read the labels and check. Um, And if in doubt, go back to your manufacturer. Um, Obviously, may contains or precautionary allergen labeling is voluntary. Um, So it may be that it appears on it. But just because it doesn't appear on it doesn't mean it's still safe. You still need to be able to go down the manufacturing route and and double check it on your specs, etc. But I think, you know, we do need more um, education. Um, We're being taught at the moment about Natasha's Law. We're doing webinars coming out of our ears at the moment. Um, But for an example, I was um, down in um, Wales and I went to a very sort of rustic type of venue um and I wanted to have a brunch and they had it with potatoes chorizo and poached egg so I asked the lady behind the counter to check with the kitchen whether the chorizo contained milk they went into the kitchen and she came out and said actually we don't know we've decanted the product into a tub and we don't have the labeling 
Now, you need to be understanding that just because you decant something, that doesn't dis diminish your responsibility. You need to make sure that you retain labelling or you have that information. And there's so many businesses not getting the FIR regulations right. So how, you know, we need to push Natasha's law, but we need to get the basics right before we can go to the next step. And I think that's a really important thing to highlight. And say you, you say you have an allergy um, and I go and eat out with my friends. I'm going to pick somewhere that is more inclusive to me. So actually I'm going to be bringing business because it tends to be myself that will be the person that chooses where we go. Because at the end of the day, I'm the, as you say, the most difficult one to cater for. So in turn, I bring more business with me. So the simple thing to do is first of all, finding more inclusive products, looking at their actual offering, like why do they have to have, for example, there are so many products in the market at the moment, um, vegetable spring rolls, duck spring rolls, all of these things, they've literally just changed to add an allergen in, add sesame. Why do these things, why have they added an allergen instead of removing it? If you could remove as many of the top 14 as possible, that will be fantastic. I know there are allergies outside the top 14. I have them myself. But if we have some sort of step forward, this will at least achieve a little bit more of inclusivity. Definitely. And I think where you were sort of saying about choosing where to go, if, if we go out as a family and there's five of us, if I can't have a dessert, nobody else is going to have a dessert, possibly. So again, that's what about 35, 40 pounds, which is extra, which would have been added onto the bill. And same in, in the circumstances for a starter. If there's not a choice of a starter that I can have, then everyone else is like, well, let's just go straight to main course. So again, it's that business, it's that unique selling point. If you have a, if I find someone that I can have a starter, main course, and a dessert, every time I would go for it if it's there. If there's a choice for me to have one, I'm going to have a pudding. And, and literally, more often than not, it's gluten-free and dairy-free or milk-free. It's not available, but we need to, like you say, change and adapt a recipe, um, you know, sticky toffee pudding and make it, if it's vegan, why can't you just make it um, gluten-free as well to try and mm -hmm. have at least two choices that somebody's gluten and dairy-free that can have on that menu. And one of the things that we highlight is that fruit salad is not a pudding. Literally, it's not. We, you know, we go for dinners. And you get offered a melon as a starter. You have your main course, which half the things are missing, like a Yorkshire pudding or your stuffing or your sausage. And then you have a dessert and it's a fruit salad. And they'll say, it's exotic fruit salad. It's like, that's still fruit salad. So again, being aware that you need to make a choice for people. But if you're going somewhere new, it's really hard to find out where to go. So I think it's really important that companies that can cater for allergies make that clear on their websites, make that clear going on allergy menus, having information like which things are gluten-free and dairy-free and making it easy for people to understand. Um, and obviously those algae bibles, which we all love and hate, which are great big books with everything in it. If it's not written down, it's really hard for your staff and for customers to find out. At least I can then look through and find out things that are going to be okay for me. And I don't think all companies have those. I would like to add to that, Ruth, you know, when you say about um, that allergen menu. So, for example, if they run out of an ingredient, I think it should be taken off the menu, that dish. It shouldn't be served because at the end of the day, if, for example, they then add dairy into it or use a product or a sauce that has a may contain dairy, it then the staff member probably goes, yes, it's dairy free. However, look what happened to Owen. He unfortunately 
died because something wasn't relayed back to the chef. So I do think it's so, so important that we have these sort of set in stone. This is the allergen menu and um, it's completely safe. So thinking about those processes of communication, you mentioned Owen there and how that was a breakdown of communication from front of house staff to the kitchen. What can we do to make those processes more secure? We need to think about training and we need to think about what's being supplied down from FSA. Um, you know, we had all the um, allergy sheets and, and information given back when the FIR came out with. But there's not a lot updated. So I think they need to think about what resources are there for people to help. I mean, we're aware of a um, an IT company which are offering a free um, service for anybody that's doing um, their allergen information. So they can input the information in, they can use that, that platform. Um, and from that platform, they can get the output for the allergen information but also the full ingredient information so we need to be aware of what type of businesses out there that can help but also training we need to have um more specific training um mandatory training so every manager um should have a level three food allergen training as they do with food safety so we have mandatory training with food safety out there at the moment but if we had a, every manager doing at least a level three then they could actually do proper induction training for their staff um, at a better level because at the moment um, people are using the food standard agencies um, online course which is good but it doesn't um, it's not sector specific it's not business specific um, and businesses need to have their own induction training course within it within their business and it's not rocket science we provide uh, an induction training powerpoint which can be given um, and it's it's you know it's there for them to to be able to tailor that information so we need to encourage better training. There should be some sort of consistent way in which allergen information is provided and where possible, full ingredients at one end of the scale. Yeah, because I don't think they get regular training. Like, I don't even know how often, but I wouldn't imagine they get trained regularly on this kind of thing. And it's not something chefs get taught about very much. And I do think it should be, it should have as much importance as Caroline was saying is you could give someone food poisoning that is taken really seriously and there are everybody knows and there are signs up saying wash your hands and you know use these knives for these chopping boards for meat and these vegetables it should be the same strictness for allergens and it isn't it's only kind of working where the places that are really trying to cater for us and until that changes until we give the same emphasis to allergies as we do to food poisoning I don't I think it's just a, a battle for a lot of people because they're not getting the training regularly enough they don't even know what the, how can you remember what the top 14 allergens are after having one lot of training which you can do online and whiz through really quickly and we need to make that better definitely and there's so many resources out there the anaphylactic campaign allergy uk we we have fact sheets that we produce every couple of weeks there's so many different places where information can be given out and, and you just put it on your notice board for people to read you know you have your 10 minute briefing or 20 minute briefing once a week with your staff about um certain particular you know ways of doing things then you say to them like this is allergy chart here i want you to read it and then sign that you've read it and it's it, you know it's not always the most successful but something better than nothing and you know we know that obviously at the moment people are looking at owen's law um you know if businesses don't step up and start doing what they should be doing properly anyway then if we see the introduction of Owen's law, that could be something else that might be something that could cause them maybe more of a challenge 
but we need to think about doing stuff in a positive way and if it seemed to be done properly then maybe that won't happen in the same way so we don't you know we can't guarantee it do you think there has been an increase with the number of people diagnosed with food allergies and is there a, la- a lack of understanding within the catering industry of the differences between an intolerance and a food allergy and what do you think we can do to help encourage willingness to create menus that is more inclusive of those definitely a hundred percent it's not just the uk though it's a global issue it's i think it's every three minutes someone is referred to the er for a food allergy which is in in the us which is incredibly high and for the uk it's one in i think it's one in 12 children now so that's two in every classroom that have a food allergy in particular that's not counting hay fever and um, other allergies so it's definitely a growing market however i feel that veganism everyone seems to have jumped on the bandwagon and people are producing vegan products however as you mentioned earlier this may contain issue just because someone says something's vegan does not mean it's dairy free or milk free it it that is just not the case and it's becoming very dangerous for people like ruth luckily i've grown out of my dairy allergy but for for, for friends they've gone oh yes this is vegan i can eat this put it straight in their mouth and I've gone, have you checked, have you checked that it's got may contain? And it's like, oh, well, it said it's vegan. And which is really, really worrying. And I want to sort of expand on this in the free from sections. If you look at in any major supermarket at the moment, they have stuck vegan on so many things in the free from area. And I I think around 80 to 90% have a may contain on. The whole free from section is turned into the gluten-free aisle. And we have this constant argument going back and forth on, you don't need a gluten-free aisle. What you actually need is that inclusivity aisle of so that people can actually go there for a need, not just a lifestyle requirement. Um, but yeah, I'm sure, Ruth, you can probably expand a lot more as you did an amazing blog on on veganism as well <laughs> well I did it created a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a hoo-ha are you talking about the blog where I was telling celiacs and vegans to get lost <laughs> a little bit but it was it was all done very well <laughs> because they it's difficult I think celiacs is different because they are made really ill but if a vegan eats something that contains eggs or dairy they'd never know if it contained meat they'd never know and I think that's the problem that companies that are making products for vegans, obviously they're coming from a point where they are wanting to make it plant-based and there are lots of reasons for going vegan. But the reasons for being allergic, are they're not a choice face. We don't have a choice. And if we get given the wrong thing, it could be fatal. Are there any examples you can give us of some really good experiences that you have had eating out? And what were those little things that made it so special and so good? Who's going to go first? Go on then, Ruth. <laughs> Gosh, I've had so many really good meals out. I think, well, it's a place that I go back to regularly and it is because they seem to just really, they really, they've been doing it for a really long time and it's called Lucy's in Ambleside in the Lake District. And there are probably 50%, I, I think 
I would say more than 50% of the menu is already gluten and dairy free, which is two of my allergens are, are catered for. They've got lots of choice. And so then when you're asking the staff, you may only have to ask about two or three of your allergies and some people only have one. And it's just a really lovely place to be able to order and know that you can choose from starters, choose from the mains and choose from the puddings. And like Caroline said earlier, if that happens, I have starter main and pudding because it's so rare. And then like Caroline said at the beginning, everyone else does too. Whereas the minute somebody isn't having it, everyone feels like, oh no, I won't have one either because I don't want people waiting around for me to finish. And there's so many good examples, way more than the bad ones. Um, I don't eat out an awful lot, to be completely honest. But when I have, there's been a couple of chains that have been really good. Um, one is Las Iguanas. They um, have it all on an iPad. And I find it great because the server leaves with the iPad. You can just search through yourself. And I feel a bit more comfortable rather than someone standing over me, like saying, wait, you can eat this, this and this. And I usually ask them to come back and go, oh, what would you recommend as a person with allergies to this? And I've, and that's been really helpful for me because a lot of the times when I have gone in there, they've gone, oh, well, actually we had someone in before that had a nut allergy and they chose this. And that gave me more peace of mind. There's been other places that where the chefs actually come out and spoken to me um, and that's been fantastic. I've I'm probably like a person that triple checks everything um, <laughs> just because I've had a lot of experiences in restaurants when I was younger and actually had um, an anaphylactic shock and, and gone to hospital. So it it has been very sort of touch and go with me when I will decide to eat out or not. And I'll just move on if I don't think that they can cater for me. But no, definitely agree with you, Ruth. There's so many restaurants catering um, as well but you just have to speak up about your allergy uh, when you get there definitely and I mean I've, I, I, I don't normally um, dine in five-star hotels and restaurants but one of the places that if I go to London that we go to is um, One Oldwich and Indigo because their restaurant literally is completely gluten and dairy free um, and they can manage allergens and they've got the training so Dominic there um, changed his menu um, and for them their unique selling point when they um, announced that they were gluten and dairy free when they did actually put it in the paper their bookings went up by over 25 percent and year on year their, their bookings are up by 12 percent whereas a lot of people are going down in sales you know I don't often go to that type of restaurant but I know that it's safe so I one of the things that I'd like to do is go for an afternoon tea now, I've been for afternoon teas and I've literally, I've had less than everybody else. You just get um, crummy sandwiches, you get a fruit stick and you get a chocolate brownie. And everyone else is eating gorgeous cream cakes and everything else. <laughs> but I, you know, with um, one old witch, you can guarantee that you're going to get the same as everybody else. That you're going to get that deluxe chocolate cake or you're going to get that deluxe mousse or, you know, the different types of things or sorbet, etc. The bits that, the nice bits everyone else is getting. And I think that's what you want to sort of aim for try to make it look the same as everybody else's and that's the positive um the garden center that i went to in guildford i had a fish cake for my lunch it was like oh i've not had fish cakes well i have i make them myself but you know it's nice to be able to go out and eat normally and have those type of things as well so um and to be fair a lot of the go uh, garden centers are quite like say individual and, and different and we tend to stick to garden centers rather than motorway service stations because you can actually find something for fresh that you can eat so as a quick summary, 
It's about education, understanding where the need is, what the allergens are. It's about correct implementation and then communication, not only from the customer to the staff, but throughout the whole supply chain. Thank you all so much for agreeing to be our guest this afternoon. You've been listening to episode five of Hawk Talk on Allergy Awareness. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.